All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Crypto with English. So today we're going to focus a bit on the entrepreneur's journey within Web3 and blockchain. So I'm sure everyone is familiar with the hero's journey. Well, let's see how much of that is a parallel to a startup and an entrepreneur and what are the ingredients that make things work and what are the trials and tribulations that one has to go through as they are making their way across the space. So I'd like to warmly introduce to you all Micah Krautscheid. She's the CEO and founder of Block X Space. She's also a very visible and well-known uh, entrepreneur and Web3 keynote speaker at various conferences across uh, the European Union uh, and the Middle East and elsewhere. So Micah, thank you very much for coming on today. Thank you. I'm very happy to see you again. And, yeah. yeah. So much happened within one year. Right. Yes. Yeah. A lot has happened within the past year. So speaking of that, as we are in 2023 right now, there's been a lot of scandals in Web3 and crypto, a lot of them deriving from the United States, but also, but also elsewhere right now. Has the process of creating a Web3 product or service, has it gotten harder? Now, as we are standing speaking to each other on the show. I'm not sure if it has become harder. <laughs> I mean, it was hard all, all the time to actually create a product that people are using. Right. Um, we, we've seen in the past right. years, like this crypto boom, uh, much speculation on all sorts of tokens, tokenized whatever. There right. Were. Of all sorts of um, yeah, scammy coins where actually maybe not even a team was behind, uh, just a uh, one guy. I think we might have lost lost connection here. Hello, everyone. Bear with me one moment here. Not sure what I can do. Waiting. Cheers, guys. If you can see me. Right. <laughs> so, um, and by the way, so we're just recording right now, uh, Mike. So, just a heads up. I'm still, uh, for whatever reason, I'm still hearing feedback on your end. Maybe I can change the microphone. Okay, sure. Uh, I just used it. Maybe I also have to my, okay. my headphone cable. Let's check it out. No problem. Can you say something? Testing one, two. Okay, I can hear you. Is it okay. now a microphone? That, that's much better. Okay. All right, yeah. let's, let's continue. As you were saying. Um, yeah, so I don't think it has become harder. It was hard all the time to create an actual product for Web3, and we are still right. not there, actually. Uh, we have approaches of uh, what we can, what, what we consider as, uh, as our vision of Web3, but we are still in the transitioning from the internet that we know now, right. where we have different platforms, 
like Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, um, right. uh, YouTube, where we can put uh, our content um, on the platform and we might get some money. But if the platform decides, um, oh, we don't like that content in, in, in some way, uh, without a reason, they can right. throw us uh, or delete us from the platform. They can take all of our contacts away. We don't owe the oh, we don't actually own our contacts, and we don't. Um, I mean, we don't own the data which is on these platforms. Right. Um, and we can not really um, decide when we monetize the data, the content that we created. It is always like this bigger power which decides. And this right. is what we want to change with uh, the, the Web3, upcoming Web3, where we own the data, where we can monetize the data, where we have the power over the data and decide. Um, who can consume it and uh, where do we take our data, who can access that data. And it's still hard, uh, especially, uh, I mean, the, the technology, the blockchain, there are, it's not only one blockchain technology, there are right. thousands of different blockchain technologies, and most of them are actually not really uh, properly working in terms of data capacity in terms of uh, scalability, then the interoperability between these uh, blockchains. Right. Then we've, we've seen also, um, I mean, how can these scams also happen or hacks? Um, because there are bugs within these systems, within the smart contracts. And um, some people who have some technical knowledge can um, detect those vulnerabilities and use right. them for their uh, yeah, illicit right. behaviors. Yeah. Right, and you brought up a very interesting point with blockchain. So as, as one knows, blockchain is a decentralized, often in the form of a decentralized ledger that is spread across seemingly countless amount of nodes, or at least the amount of nodes that are in that network. So obviously there is no either a need or there's really no presence of a third party custodian. Like, for instance, like our information on Facebook or Twitter. In your experience, what are the specific difficulties in scaling, scaling blockchain? Um, you know, as you as you briefly touched upon on the surface, uh, I think many of us know that it is a very energy exhausting, energy intensive series of computer processes. A lot of electricity is required, you know, off the bat. But uh, what are some other things you've seen? I mean, scaling a blockchain, it's, 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 it's for everyone a challenge. Uh, we, we did actually some world records on, uh, on scalability. Uh, we right. still hold uh, a record in um, doing like let's say connected or related transactions. Um, for example, when you take a, a blockchain-based game and these steps, you have steps in the game and these right. steps are related to each other. Not one step can be incorrectly put on blockchain, otherwise the whole thing is corrupt. Sure. And um, we figured out basically how, how it can be done to structure the data and uh, to put it on chain. Right. And um, I mean, <laughs> to some extent, it's a secret sauce. 
Um, but what we've seen, um, I mean, the scalability record more or less is, uh, I think with Solana currently around, I think 95 million or 100 million around that um, okay. within 24 hours. And when you imagine how many transactions are going on alone, like let's say search requests on Google per second, right. I think it's more than that. Yeah, <laughs> um, I would imagine. Uh, it's an uh, uh, extremely high number, and uh, and blockchain cannot do it at the moment. Uh, and at least um, it's it's not proven. There are blockchains I... that are claiming, oh, we can do uh, one million transactions per second. Right. Um, for example, uh, um, Cardano did this for sure. a very long time, uh, but um, they they just did I think seventy five million transactions within the within the whole history of Cardano, yeah. <laughs> and they maximum showed around hundred fifty thousand transactions within twenty four hours. So the blockchains that are claiming we can scale uh, boundless boundless uh, scalability. Uh, it's not true at the current state. Right. Um, and also uh, the data capacity. How much data can you put on chain? And is it really um, economically feasible? Uh, sure. At some point, the who, who, who's paying for it, basically? Is it, is it uh, enough when you pay a one-time fee uh, uh, up front? And is it there forever? Right. No, it's not economically feasible for no one to, to store it forever for a little fee. Um, and things have, has to be still uh, figured out how to do that. And I think um, the ideal blockchain is not out there currently. Right. Um, but I mean, uh, it's in the process when we think uh, about, um, I know uh, like one Mbit of data capacity was maybe in the 70s or so it was a basically as big as this room or so right uh, and now we have like uh, 125 uh, gigabyte on a stick which i have yeah oh okay let's see <laughs> so, wow yeah i think in the 70s no one could have imagined that sure. you, you that the the technology changes that much Right. So I think we shouldn't limit ourselves with the, the scalability part because at the moment, people are not using it that much that we need right. it. So right. we can take the time to develop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ab absolutely. And that is a solid reference to the, the 1970s where essentially you had giant labs of supercomputers. And in those days, it was hardly of a capacity that could power a basic calculator. So look at where we are now, for instance. So those are, uh, you know, that's certainly a great reference, historical reference, mind you, to, uh, to make here. So when it comes to the entrepreneurial journey, you tell everybody about Block X Space, how you became the founder, and what was the starting point, and where are you at now? Well, um, the vision of uh, Block X Space was actually um, provide consulting services to all sorts of industries, companies, governments. When they want to know about blockchain technology, um, its applications in the 
the, the sector and specific sector uh, to make, for example, um, the telecommunication sector more effective, efficient and secure with blockchain technology and uh, related technologies that can be connected with blockchain technology. Right. And uh, what I've, uh, I saw back then was um, what, what other potential pit, uh, pit competitors were um, yeah, speaking of was more like, or they were, let's say, uh, more biased and recommending blockchain technologies where I thought you will never be able to use that blockchain for that use case. Sure. So um, many companies um, actually kind of uh, wasted their money building a product um, because they, they received maybe incorrect uh, consulting. And I thought, okay, I, I, I know so many different technologies I think I can help somehow. Right. And um, when I and when I started, I actually didn't have, have the team, uh, but I was uh, connected um, all over the globe with people. Right. And I was very happy when I found my American business partner Ivan, who is basically the, the technical genius. Yes. And he, I mean, uh, we have uh, several patents in the blockchain space in the no code and other, um, yeah, let's say IT software field. Um, with him, I know uh, I can do basically, or we can do all sorts of things. Right. We, uh, uh, for example, can also consult. Um, there are there can, there are countries where data might not leave the country, I and uh, we can, for example, then help how to set up the network within that uh, country that it's according to the um, the jurisdiction the laws of the country right very very interesting and through block x space specifically consulting you have the opportunity to consult for <clears throat> excuse me enterprises and governments correct mm -hmm. larger scale operations what's that is what is that like and how do you secure how do you get clients like that because that's a very big milestone well, um, the interesting thing is... Without, you know, spilling too many trade secrets or yeah. anything like that, but within reason, uh, how, do you, how do you go about and, you know, convince those kind of clients to take you on, for instance? Yeah, well, uh, compared to KPMG or uh, PwC and so sure. forth, I mean, I, we are no name, but um, all these big companies, they also might not have or may not have the, the right knowledge. And the right, right. people, um, and there I can confidently say uh, that uh, we we have I have the team I have the people uh, uh, to to create this whatever is needed if it's just consulting in terms of knowledge or expertise or is it actually to create a product so I have right. a, a different teams who can take care of these different things um, where yeah where I can say, okay, um, th th these bigger companies may have the, the, the name and uh, the money, right. uh, but we have the expertise and the knowledge 
and um, and also yeah, um, we we created something in the space like also doing this scalability records and so forth. Right. So, in a consulting capacity, in your experience, what are some of the biggest questions that clients have as to blockchain, as to what solutions such technology can provide? Because I would imagine there has to be a period that is like a learning curve as you're explaining this. Well, there are two things actually, so or two approaches. <laughs> One thing is how can we use blockchain technology in general? Right. What are the use cases they want to right. know in general? What's what what's that all about blockchain? How uh, can we use it? Uh, what are the use cases? Right. So this is the, the first question. Or the people they they uh, contact us. For, with a problem and uh, this right. is actually uh, the more interesting i think uh, to, uh, to to figure out how right. to solve this problem that they have for example when we look at uh, online content and now the upcoming um, everyone's using chat uh, gpt sure. and uh, bard and and so forth and right. um, how can these original content creators prove we did this content first and we have the copyright. Right. So um, with blockchain and some other technologies, we can definitely create a system that we can prove that. And it would solve uh, a huge problem for many content creators all around the globe uh, that are monetizing their original um, content. Um, right. So, I think that's also one of our, um, let's say, special um, let's specializations. Say, specializations that we say we want to uh, be, uh, we want to get all the problems where everybody else says, "Oh no, we cannot solve this." I see this what you mean. This is what we want to do, where we really have to think, uh, go delve into the deep, and to, to right. figure out a solution for uh, that company, right. government, sector. Very, uh, very interesting. And for the sake of the audience, could you explain what are going to be the most popular use cases in 2023 going forward? What do you, where do you think blockchain is going to shine the brightest or do its best, just based on your experience consulting and doing things with enterprises and governments? Well, there's currently a shift going on. Uh, a bit the, the focus from blockchain goes to well, AI. Sure. And, and I think um, many blockchain companies will try to find the connection between blockchain sure. and AI that they don't uh, lose all the, the, the spotlight or that right. they get a little, bit, a little bit of the spotlight which shines on uh, AI. Um, and there's a huge challenge also for the blockchain sector or crypto in general um, because the, the money is flowing, not anymore right. uh, with full focus on, on blockchain, but on AI. So many blockchain startups um, will run out of money. 
Right. And uh, if, if they didn't build up a proper product until now. Right. So it will definitely be interesting how the upcoming months will develop. Um, but that's where I see uh, where the spotlight goes on the right. combination with blockchain and AI. And with Block X Space, do you also provide consulting on artificial intelligence based product, uh, projects? Or are you contacted at least to provide some sort of advice or recommendation on those? Because it seems like these two worlds are now meeting. Artificial intelligence, which has existed for a while, and blockchain technology, which to an extent has existed for a while. But now we're seeing this, uh, I guess you could say, this, this crossing or this intermingling of two worlds simultaneously. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm, well, our main focus is not on AI, but we right. can basically deal with AI. Um, actually, we are currently um, in negotiations on a, a new product uh, which is coming up. Um, I cannot say much. It's because right, it's confidential. But I can say it, it's um, in, um, what can I say? It's it will be with a partnership with one of the very big players who okay. who are who have much knowledge uh, around AI and we have our knowledge right. and this will be combined. Right. All right. So for the audience uh, to be listening to this, there's a little bit of a teaser here from Mike as far as what she'll be working on next. So I would suggest to uh, pay close attention to LinkedIn and other platforms regarding that. And speaking of artificial intelligence, what is your opinion on it as a consultant, as an entrepreneur? And especially, I think you are partially based in the UAE, correct? Yes. Right. And, and I think it, it can almost go without saying the UAE, Dubai in particular, they're essentially leading almost the vanguard of where this technology is going, especially where in that region, there is a, you could say, it, an alignment between government and private enterprise as far as where they want to take this industry, which is particularly special and unique. But to, to the question when it comes to artificial intelligence, as it, will be as it will have a role, and I'll bet a large role in this, do you generally feel good about AI or cynical or bad about it, given, you could say, potential for good, and then also its potential for bad. So for instance, the ability that AI has, it can now generate its own biases separate from what programmers, developers put into it. So for a while, but particularly this year, there is real tangible evidence of AI creating a mind of its own. And to the best of, you could say, science, as we can see it, as the public, there's not, it's still a mystery. And, you know, I've had experts and developers come on to here. So if it's becoming autonomous, if an AI is becoming autonomous on its own terms, there's obviously a lot of fear behind that too. So your thoughts on AI, good, bad, or otherwise? 
Yeah, it's a, I think a very difficult thing to um, forecast how things are uh, will develop right. over time. I, because I, along when I think about uh, the internet, right. I would have never thought in 2005, 2008, how things are developing, that everyone is now uh, using the smartphone and basically uh, looks sure. at the smartphone more uh, times uh, than anything else uh, within a day right um and um so and this is not a very long time ago and sure. it changed the world so i think it's similar with ai well, first thing when i think about bad things then i think about metal heads there was a like mirror or something this uh, black mirror yes yeah yeah <laughs> Where, um, these uh metal dogs kill the people and, and so forth. And yeah, there's no consciousness that this is actually a bad thing, potentially. Right. Um, and I mean, many people are now using AI within their daily life. I also cannot uh, think about not having uh, access to ChatGPT anymore. Uh, it's so uh, such a helpful tool. Um, it, Passes up the processes, right. makes every, every whatever you do uh, with the languages, with um, uh, picture creation, and and so forth. Every anything, also like video creation. I can make a, I make, put in a prompt, and I have basically a movie trailer. Or and how, sure. and how crazy the things are developing. Or I could uh, put uh, now um, uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, um, sure. AI face on, uh, and, and it speaks also in it in, in his voice tone and and, and so right such crazy things um, and uh, I think it's um, it's yeah I mean it's speechless it makes me speechless when I think about all the opportunities that we, we can discover explore uh, with AI and um, it's it's developing so fast that, yeah, the question can be, okay, do we have to be more careful with it? I, I actually right. know from uh, some people who were programming AIs, especially in the medical sector, they, were, uh, they told me, you need to educate an AI from the beginning to be good, basically. Interesting. And if you didn't do that, then there, uh, yeah, problems can come up. Um, so, yeah, it's a like, how do you say, two a sword with two sides? Yes, two sides to it. And uh, I guess you could say a story and an anecdote. So I had a previous guest on here about three to four weeks ago, and she was reciting telling a story. This is of a woman in mainland China who I believe was using a dating site and who she thought she was falling in love with. She thought she was falling in love with another man. It was actually an AI bot. And apparently from that story, the AI bot was so sophisticated, it, it kind of understood all of the usual nuances and kind of contextual things you say in speech where it was almost indistinguishable. Actually, at least for her, it was completely undistinguishable uh, from, you know, are you talking to a human 
or are you talking to an AI bot? So this woman ended up in falling in love with a artificial intelligence program who was essentially receiving her input and then as an output, putting out, you could say, desired responses that she would probably wish to hear. But hearing that story, it's like, wow, we are truly living in the future. And that is both fascinating and a little disturbing at the same time. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it's, uh, I also heard about that. Um, not the same story, but um, I'm not in that sector, but uh, there are these, uh, I don't know what's in, in America or England, uh, they're specific, like, how do you say, another word for, like, uh, adult industry. <laughs> oh, sure, yes. Like, adult industry. No, that's uh, correct, the adult uh, industry, yes. Yeah, adult, where, adult entertainment industry. Yeah, adult entertainment industry where people can call for two dollars per minute or something like right. that. Crazy, right? And, the hotlines. Uh, yeah, say, yeah. Right. <laughs> and uh, they actually were trying to to also like they they um, make these uh, thousand people redundant, which are currently working in somewhere in California oh, wow. uh, in that field, and uh, instead apply uh, an AI. To, right. So to AI is taking phones. over the phone yeah. sex hotlines that people will pay, you know, money per minute for. Exactly. Wow. But they, what they were still figuring out was actually, okay, how to make it more human, um, how to bring, yeah, so how to give more emotional vibes to it. Right. Uh, so that's where they still, so for example, when you say, I love you. It should have a certain uh, emotion, certain vibe to it. Right. That's what I would love to uh, sure. feel, at least. Uh, and um, and that's what they still need to figure out. Yeah. Wow. That is, that is interesting. Now, I didn't hear about that story, but that does make complete sense, given where you could say where the technology is evolving to. So if you could, so if anybody has an adult entertainment company, this could be in the US, Europe, or elsewhere, you could deploy essentially a small fleet of AI bots to essentially act in this context as phone sex operators. That is something that is very, very novel. And uh, I think that technology seemingly is only going to get more refined over time because every conversation, every individual customer, you know, as one can say, every client, so to say, those conversations are going to be providing extremely valuable input. You know, as you mentioned, kind of the certain phrases of I love you and kind of the tones and the inflections in people's voice. Every customer Every client, every conversation and sentence is going to be, for the sake of the AI, let's say, phone sex operator here, valuable input where it will be as efficient as humans in conversing, if not even better in, in some cases. So that is, that is, you know, like I said, both fascinating and disturbing. And in fact, listen, even if we were to, talk about our, our very conversation, 
on this episode, we may also be facing a future where you and I having this episode, this could easily be replaced by an AI program or an AI bot. And it's going to be virtually indistinguishable from, let's say, as you and I are doing this right now. So, you know, I could imagine there can be an AI bot of Micah Crouchside where, you know, same voice, same tones and inflections, you know, in the speaking as, as for me as well. That is a very, very crazy kind of future, to say the least. Yeah. Nothing to add. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like to think about these things. And there is an intertwining, as I mentioned before, of AI and, you know, decentralized technologies here. And in one way, they're going to be changing society for better. And in other ways, they're going to be presenting a large array or a Pandora's box of problems that we don't, we can't entirely foresee or even, even ascertain at this, at this period in time. So I think it's, uh, it's certainly some food for thought there. So I don't know if we're living in a science fiction movie, but at any point in time, this seems to be the closest to it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I also think about um, life. I mean, sure. who created life? Maybe this is like a, a game. Or a simulation. A, a simulation which was created by an AI. Sure. We don't know. I mean, how do we know? Right. And yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a good point. And I'd probably say for over 50 years, there's been books, movies, and other forms of entertainment covering that. And if you look at this, this very conversation, you and I, let's say if this is a simulation, let's say you as you are, I as Adam English, it is a, let's say, a mysterious thing if, let's say, you and I are almost like these independent codes within a program, within a broader program. And it makes you wonder, let's say, if you and I are coding in a larger AI program, what does that say about the developers? One of the, I guess you could say, one of the guests I had who is a seasoned veteran developer, he has his own company. And he works in blockchain, and uh, he's very knowledgeable about artificial intelligence. And one of the questions that I asked him, and I'd like to ask you, can artificial intelligence escape the bias of its developers? So is it possible to truly have a wholly objective AI program or system? And his argument was, is that even if you do, first off, in, in some way, shape, or form, subconscious biases, you know, do leave us as, you know, even if we're, let's say, doing the laundry or even if we're doing something mundane. But, the, but also at the same time, too, because of the learning process, it's almost inevitable 
that these AI programs develop their own minds. So even if you're just feeding it biology all day, or even if you're just feeding it, you know, things like welding or glassmaking, it ends up essentially conceptualizing its world based on those things anyway. So if you could imagine, let's say, the process where one becomes a welder or let's say a glassmaker, you know, the learning, the energy, the exertion behind that. Eventually, even though that information is not put in as something that's, well, this is a good value, this is a bad value. But what happens is apparently it ends up conceptualizing its own world based on that input anyway. So, you know, let's say if we make a martial arts based AI program, and even if it's only martial arts, so we're not trying to teach it to be good or bad, we're just teaching it to be as is, so to say. And let's say you and I are developers on a team and we make this. It seems to be no matter what, it's going to create its own bias because its world is being informed regardless by, you could say, this skill or this input. So that was, yeah, (laughs) right. So getting to that, uh, do you, do you feel that it is possible to still create like a, not a non-judgmental, completely unbiased AI bot based on either experience, things you've heard or research? Yes. Um, I mean, in the end, life is also non-judgmental. Right. I mean, life simply happens. Right. <clears throat> a lion, lion kills a deer or whatever, you know, uh, and it's the judgment comes from outside. We say, sure. oh, this animal should, uh, should live further and this uh, should die. I want to eat it or something. The, 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 judgment, uh, the judgment, if this is good or bad, comes from us. Right. So I think when I compare AI with life, I would say it simply happens without a judgment. Right. And uh, maybe we can code to say, okay, this is good and this is bad, this is dark, this is light. Right. Um, these are the rules within the game within the simulation. Uh, um, So these are the rules. And if you act within this, uh, in in this way, you lose that. If you act according to this, you win the challenge or whatever. And it's like, like, um, like a balance between all the elements, basically. Right, right. That's uh, that's interesting. Not sure if it, uh, <laughs> but it gives no, an impression no, of what uh, I think. No, that's a good, uh, that's a good way of conceptualizing it. So, I guess ultimately, at the end of the day, based on what you're saying, it's really only us humans that make that judgment call or that binary, good or bad, right or wrong, winning, winning or losing, and things are just kind of as is. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, let's say if this is in if this is in the this is in the jungle, and you know, you have essentially a predator type animal, you know, it could be a tiger, for instance, hunting a deer or hunting, you know, some sort of prey based animal. It just is. There's no kind of good or bad. It's just 
instinct or it's just survival. It's just kind of the, the genetic coding that kind of already exists in each respective animal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And moving off of that, in scholarship, in the news, there's been research and you could say questions posited from that research of the day where you have artificial intelligence taking over various functions in society. So imagine, imagine a democracy voting, for instance, let's say voting, for instance, specifically done by some sort of AI program. One of the theories is, is that this could make it a bit more honest. This could make it a bit more transparent. You know, this is going to be a machine doing these process. It's not going to be a human being like you or I counting, you know, counting the votes, counting the mm. ballots and whatnot. So some have argued and some have imagined that even democracy can be managed, controlled, and maybe even improved by an AI. What do you think of that? So let's say this is, let's say this is either Germany, Switzerland, United States, anywhere. Government by artificial intelligence. What do you think about that? I mean, <clears throat> the usage of technology in voting is already like uh, very much discussed in all right. fields. Also, uh, applying blockchain technology and voting systems. And um, what I've seen globally is basically that it fails. Um, <laughs> for example, yeah. it, I, I know a story of um, reputational organization in the U EU, <clears throat> one of the one of the players uh, who created a blockchain-based system, voting system, and they also wanted to basically export the system to African countries. Okay. And what happened was that they were basically confronted with more or less the decision, yes, you can bring it uh, here, but then you won't live further. Right. <laughs> so they were basically right. threatened, threatened with their lives. Wow. Um, uh, because uh, in, in, uh, especially in countries where so much corruption is happening, they sure. don't want to have this transparency. They don't want to have exactly. uh, like, uh, clarity, right. clarity about the number of votes. Sure. So whatever um, yeah, questions these systems yeah, and, uh, could bring easily clarity and immediate uh, results uh, of the correct votings. Um, yeah, I don't think it will happen. And that's a that's a very good point too. Keeping in mind other political systems, and I think as adults here we can all agree that democracy has plenty of its own faults in being not democratic enough, or at least not living up to the name. And that can be said in almost every democratic country. You know, especially given the various scandals or the way things are agreed upon in Congresses and, and whatnot. So I guess, you know, to an extent, maybe more than that, for countries that are autocracies or dictatorships or run by warlords and things like that, AI 
even if well-intended, could also be extremely destabilizing. And you're going to run into regions of the world that are going to be extremely resistant to it. You know, as you've mentioned, the last thing a dictatorship autocracy wants is for people to seeing, for people to see, or people to perceive what really happens, or as they say here, how the sausage is made. You know, that seems to be the last thing, because uh, then people have knowledge, and then, well, people can do things with that. So that's that's a very very interesting thing. I guess you could say a parallel comparison. You know, let's say bringing it to other regions of the world and who are fundamentally not transparent or they're not free societies. Yes, exactly. I was just yeah. thinking about um, what, you know, we have in Europe, the European Parliament with yes. uh, many uh, politicians. And I recently saw a documentary how with so with how little money these politicians basically can be bought sure so uh, oh wow <laughs> yeah really it's like a it was like a um, um, decision uh, for one of the not uh, really european countries but they are what's the i know the capital city it's baku what's the country again but oh uh, baku is azerbaijan the, is that azerbaijan yes azerbaijan yes yeah. i think it was azerbaijan <laughs> And there was a like um, decision if it uh, Azerbaijan should stay within this specific department of the European uh, Commission or Parliament or something like that. Interesting. And um, it, it when this decision took part, uh, there were um, so many politicians within this uh, uh, voting. Uh, um, I mean during that vote were present, which never happened before. So, the, which uh, was why some journalists thought, okay, we need to check why were there so many politicians during that vote here? So, and they found out that specific politicians and um, let's say countries were simply bought and for right. such little money, I, I speak about, I mean, it started maybe with $30,000, basically, or, or something oh. like very, and 300000 and uh, right. little amounts where I think I would love to see uh, that every politician would need to transparently show where all the money streams, or where all the money, right. how the money flows. I think it's also very special in the USA, <laughs> uh, yes, the it is. US, uh, I think the and US conditions are, are a bit more expensive, well, potentially. Potentially, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and in actuality, uh, or in reality, apparently. So that's a very good point you raised. So it's, in theory, in the United States, if you are a politician or if you are a government official, you are not, as far as you could say, a uh, a value, or even as almost a social contract, you're not supposed to become wealthy from doing your duty in public office. You're not supposed to, because government and government functions are supposed to be unbiased and separated from profit motives, for instance. As you pointed out, and as we all know, that is clearly not the case. And in fact, 
quite the opposite happens once people get into public office. And this is particularly apparent in the United States. They do become multimillionaires shortly afterwards. So that's why you will have individuals who have stayed in our Congress for almost 20 years because there's just too much money to be made too easily. You know, you're, you're, you essentially get to be a public figure and bureaucrat and people, companies through lobbyists are constantly competing for your time and influence. And there is a price tag. So as you've mentioned, I am sure if we're going to be in a future one day where let's say between decentralized blockchain technologies and AI somehow reveals that, it is going to be a historic day when you see, whether it's in the US or the European Union, what prices politicians have been bought at. Like you mentioned, $30,000. And you know, I'll even say this, like that would be horrifying. It's like, oh, wow. So this person voted this way. They received $30,000. So essentially they got a pre-owned BMW. So for the price of a pre-owned BMW, they voted against, you could say, the voters' interest for that district. You know, for instance, yeah. I could, that is going to be a truly historic day when that happens. And listen, as time goes on, even as we're, we are speaking, that is becoming more and more possible. I think, for example, with stock trades, uh, oh, yes. there, there is already like data available. I don't know where it is available, but you can access the data when certain people uh, traded some stocks. For example, Pelosi, I think. Yes. Uh, she's one of the yes. <laughs> experts in that field. And Absolutely. Um, there's also another one which is like 90 years old and still, uh, they, uh, I don't know her name. It's a, a female, uh, another female politician. And, um, and this, is, this is in the United States? Other United than Nancy, States, yes, USA. And it's not Nancy Pelosi. Okay, I think I know what you're talking about. The name is escaping me right now, but, but yes. Yes, but, uh, uh, and um, also, I think just over hundreds of millions or something like that. Just, uh, right. And uh, yeah, a, a normal human cannot do it as a politician. So things that had to happen. Uh, and usually they, they receive some sort of insider information And they know when to buy, when to sell, uh, exactly. and, uh, and and it, it also uh, comes together with the, the decisions that they needed to make. Sure, right. <laughs> Somehow, so um, what a coincidence, right? Yeah, what a coincidence. <laughs> Woo. Uh, right. And um, so this data can also already be used by AI and processed, and and also uh, showed publicly on a blockchain where no specific people can manipulate that data on that data. Right. So we have somewhere the big data, AI can process that big data and put the results on a blockchain so that these influential people who have the money to do all sorts of crazy things with sure. their money uh, cannot then delete that data. So right. that's one of the use cases that I would see, for example, with blockchain yeah, and it, AI. It could be actually a very good forensic investigative tool as well. Like to your point, you mentioned, you know, Nancy Pelosi. So you could imagine that there could be an AI 
where let's say if it went into, let's say, a trading account, she may or may not have had at some point. That AI can learn and map the exact, you could almost say, path or trajectory of how she earned wealth over time. So, you know, in the United States, and as in many countries, there are specific laws as to being a public official and trading in securities, stocks, for instance. So given the fact that, you know, if an individual is a member of Congress, the understanding and perception is they do have access, A, to particular information that may not either readily be available or convenient for people, but also because they are members of Congress, they're making laws. So the, you could almost say the ability to be influenced is a great, is a great, great fear. So, you know, Nancy Pelosi, and listen, this is generally speaking an apolitical show, but listen, facts are facts. Nancy Pelosi is estimated to be worth somewhere between 150 million to 200 million US dollars. Her husband is a very, very successful, prosperous, I believe, hedge fund owner and investment banker. So if by, you could say, by appearances alone, one would imagine, hey, listen, I'm never going to trade a stock. I don't want to get in trouble. I think we all know rules are bent and rules only apply to some and, and not others. And the weird comparison is, are you familiar with the U.S. celebrity Martha Stewart? Martha, Martha Stewart is a very, very famous uh, billionaire entrepreneur, self-made from New Jersey. And she has essentially her own, I guess you could say, type of home living line of goods. So it's, you know, cookbooks, it's food. Um, I believe it's at one point they had their own magazine. So it's a lifestyle brand. And she created it in like the 80s and early 90s. And it just took off. So, you know, furniture even, for instance, you know, silverware, cutlery, like she had all of that. Well, she went to prison over, I believe, over 15 years ago for insider trading. And, mm. you know, she ended up serving time. Uh, it was shortened, I believe, but she ended up serving time in a federal prison like any other, let's say, person who did the same thing, comparatively speaking. On the other hand... Then you have someone like, you know, former uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who did comparatively the same exact thing and actually made incredibly much more money. And in fact, uh, her overall net worth has been greatly estimated or you could almost say ascertained to derive from having access to that kind of information. And the weird thing was with Martha Stewart, her trading, or you could, you could say her pattern of trading that led to this, this was, and this is not to give her a pass, but this was almost like a one-off kind of event in her life. Like her career, her brand was already made by her lifestyle brand. So this was kind of getting extra money by investing. And then you have this situation, let's say in the United States, particularly Nancy Pelosi, where, listen... She, she was the Speaker of the House. Her husband is this savvy, highly successful investment banker. 
hedge, you know, hedge fund, uh, hedge fund manager. And there doesn't seem to be consequences. Yeah, there is public outrage, but there doesn't seem to be, let's say, real tangible consequences. So AI could, in a, in a, in a real setting, it could probably map out and even investigate day one of trading to today. What trades were made on what days? What things were bought? What things were, what things were sold? What was going on in the news that day or that month when those trades were made? Because one of the biggest scandals, too, in the United States is the amount of, let's say, billionaires that emerged throughout the COVID lockdowns. Those, you know, tied very closely to the heads of industry. And then, you know, also the political connections that may be underlying those. So I even wonder in our system, there may be some pushback for some of that AI or some of the uh, decentralized technology. Because if you could imagine this, if, uh, if the AI could be the detective here, like a police detective here, and then, you know, essentially uh, the blockchain could effectively be this stone record where you can't change it. It's just carved in stone. You can't erase it. You can't put paint on it, really. It's going to be this unchanging record. This inalterable record of all this. You know, listen, that could turn societies, first world democracies even, completely, you know, upside down, I think. Absolutely. I mean, you know, when it comes to forensic, there are already um, AI tools also in the blockchain space. For example, I know the company, it's what's called uh, uh, Grey, Grey Wolf. Grey Wolf, Grey Wolf is, okay. Uh, based in um, Canada. Okay. Uh, and um, they they created this framework tool or platform um, where, for example, blockchain behavior is being analyzed, and they can clearly see when cycle trades, basically, which are a form of wash trading, oh, um, yes. uh, happen. So where are the markets being? Where are they manipulated? And right. uh, when you look at uh, different blockchain systems, it's 70 to 90%, maybe just uh, fake bots or wash trading, right. money laundering, or do yes. other uh, illicit behavior. All these things can already uh, be um, yeah, analyzed through AI. It's out there. The tools are there. But yes. uh, are exchanges, do they want to apply these tools? If they're not forced, by by authorities, potentially it's uh, they want to keep doing their their things, you know. Right, that's a that's a very good point as well. And in fact, you know, as you mentioned, uh, there is an abundance of wash trading out there. And in fact, you know, algorithm algorithmic traders are actually making a large amount of the trades that we see go through exchanges every single day so even as you and i speak right now ai bots have already replaced in many ways traditional trading floor traders and even day traders and in fact there's a lot of research to back up that even day traders to an extent they have a hard time competing with ai bot algorithmic traders because the capacity for ai to take in input and take in information and you know act and execute three, four steps ahead 
it is considerably faster than what a what a human being can do. And yeah, that could be a tool to you know manipulate markets as well. And listen, I would even I would even be curious uh, how much of the Bitcoin market is let's say uh, AI bots, and if there is some way for like a mass a mass adoption of a certain type of program that showed complete and total visibility of the Bitcoin market. Who are the, I mean, who exactly are the whales? And, you know, I think we have an idea who some of them are. Who are the whales and how are they trading and are they working together? Because I think there's been enough examples to believe the fact that, listen, a lot of the Bitcoin in circulation is in the hands of a concentrated amount of whales. So Bitcoin multimillionaire billionaire types, so to say. And by the way, not even just them, uh, institutions and even sovereign nations. So it makes you wonder if their activity was transparent, what would happen and how, uh, how disruptive would it, would it be? You know, at one point, I believe until maybe a year and a half ago, China, the People's Republic of China owned about 67% of the mined Bitcoin in existence. You know, so you can imagine a big superpower country like that. They literally have, you could say, mining facilities all up and down, all up and down the country. And it kind of makes you wonder where or what direction is this money or this asset or this investment or whatever you wish to call it being, you know, steered into. You know, it's it's a crazy thing to uh think about i mean these there are groups i know i know there are groups right. uh, uh, who are manipulating the market not only btc but all sorts of coins sure and they feel secure they don't bother you know right. you know it's like uh, they they are manipulating the market in a big big way and they say they will never be caught or something like that. Right. Um, and I think also in case they can buy certain people, who, and that's what I, I think at least. Um, and I mean, what will be interesting for me, for everyone maybe, to see to um, is how the thing with US dollar tether develops. Sure. Because what I think, or what I'm pretty sure about is that um, US dollar tether is backed by nothing. It's only basically brought into the market backed by air. Sure. And uh, certain people have the power over US dollar tether. Right. Uh, maybe it's backed by commercial. Uh, by uh, valueless commercial papers, right? <laughs> that's, right. Uh, that's the potential. But um, yeah, backed otherwise not by gold, not by any value valuable asset. So they what they do um, is they they have an organized group, right? And the uh, criminal organized group. Sure, they form like a syndicate <laughs> or a cartel. Yeah, exactly. You can right. maybe call it the tether cartel or something sure. like that. 
Uh, and yeah, they they um, have their groups where they communicate and say, okay, now we are pushing the market. So we print uh, a billion uh, US dollar tether. Right. We uh, push the uh, Bitcoin market. Uh, everyone, then a certain, um, um, what, how do you say, uh, a push or a hype is coming. You know, the, right. everyone say, is, sees, oh, the, the Bitcoin price is uh, spiking and now we get in, we get a uh, fear of missing out, FOMO. Sure. And um, then this organized group, they, they give them a signal and they sell. So yes. what they do is they, they change the valueless air-backed US dollar tether. Uh, they buy up the uh, BTC, the right. Bitcoin. They push the market, and at some point they sure. organize. Okay, now we are selling at this price, and they change it for real fiat, right. US dollar, right. euro, whatever uh, things where they actually can buy something with in, a, in real life. Right. And then the cycle begins. So then they they let the market drop, sure. and then they uh, print again a billion, two billion, and the cycle starts again. And I mean, it's already known. The question sure. is, um, when does the SEC, for example, gets in and right. really takes the consequences? I didn't know they can uh, let the crypto market implode <laughs> if they, right. uh, whatever they do. I mean, there's already a shift happening within that space that Many crypto exchanges they don't um, they lose their access to the usual banking system. Sure. And this already has uh, consequences in that field. Um, exchanges right. they stop uh, their services also in certain countries. I think Canada, some are leaving the US, right. some are leaving the UK, and and so forth. So, yeah, it's an interesting time. <laughs> yeah, it it definitely is. And as a final question, what are some of the goals that you hope to achieve this year for yourself? Whether it's through BlockX space or some of your other work or speaking engagements. Well, um, with my American business partner, we are working on a no-code platform. Right. Uh, which I didn't mention so far, but it's uh, like a, a platform where you can create apps, applications, um, uh, APIs and websites simply with drag and drop. Like, for example, a delivery app within 45 seconds, which would have taken maybe several weeks beforehand to develop such a platform. Right. We will also connect this in the future with the blockchain technology. For example, when you create data or uh, signatures in, in such an app that you can... Uh, timestamp it with the blockchain. And um, this will be um, one of the goals for, for myself or for us uh, that uh, we, I mean, it's already public, it's called Senji, uh, okay. but we want to push it out really to the market uh, when we added some more features and this is uh, in the development. Right. Then um, this um, several deals that are in the making Okay. Uh, to to create these plat other platforms, and um, for me to fully also move to to, to Dubai, not only have like one foot there, one Excellent. foot here. Uh, I love Dubai. Dubai is really the, the place I to be. I may be going there 
end of this year. So fingers crossed that. Yeah, then we can finally meet in yes, person. Yes, that's, that's right. And listen, we could do another episode just from oh, yes. just from there, which is which yes. be great. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, everything is in the making. Everything takes time, and uh, team is uh, growing. And um, yeah, I, I mean, that's that's the entrepreneurial thing. You you never stop. <laughs> If you are an entrepreneur, you sure. simply want to keep going and and see you spreading the, the semen <laughs> and see right. what's what's growing. Right, uh, right. For, where are the crops uh, that you can harvest? And yeah, it's everything's growing. Also. That's that's excellent. Well, Mike, I have to say it was it was awesome having you on the show today. We got to go into some very very deep, abstract, and also some very practical questions and issues. And for anybody listening that out there. I have to say, objectively, Mike is a very, very visible tech entrepreneur and keynote speaker in this space, uh, you know, essentially providing her opinions, analysis, and expertise on an array of panels, at, you know, in different events across the world. So I would behoove anybody, uh, check her out, whether it's on Twitter or whether it's on LinkedIn or Any of the other, you know, usual social media platforms, Micah, that you uh, that you perhaps at the moment, uh, LinkedIn is my focus. LinkedIn, LinkedIn yeah, okay, right. And you know, for me, largely, it's 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 more or less the same case as well. So, I'm very looking forward, very much, <clears throat> excuse me, looking forward to having another episode with you in the future and catching up from here and seeing where the world has changed since, whether it's in the UAE, the EU, US, and everywhere else. So again, Micah. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming on. And I have to say, I think we covered a tremendous amount of material within a pretty short period of time. So I would, I would suggest anybody listen to this. We cover, we cover machine learning, AI. We cover blockchain. We cover cryptocurrency. We, we cover you know, the implications and use cases and problems of, of what's going to you know, come from this. So Yeah, it's been a great time, to say the least. Like and subscribe, follow, That's right. comment, That's and right. uh, tag us if you comment. <laughs> check us out. That's absolutely right. So thanks right, again, thank Mike. You. Thank thanks you. Thanks again. Enjoy See your you. evening. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye.